Welcome to episode 102 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy features conversations with Canadian theatre makers, including actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My guest this week is Toronto-based actor and producer Grace Gordon. Grace will be seen in Theatre Penumbra's production of David Mamet's Oleana at Toronto's Red Sand Castle Theatre starting November 21st and running to December 3rd. If you enjoy the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. First, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and then we're off today and tomorrow, and then we start back on Friday, and that's going to be a bit of a longer day. So we're rehearsing a little bit piecemeal right now, and then once November hits, we're in it. Yeah. We're in it as much as we can be, because we're dealing with so many different artist schedules. Oh, of course. Like, I mean, Allegra Fulton is constantly working. If I could have half her career, I would consider myself extremely lucky. After rehearsals, she's always um, zipping over to a recording studio to record a commercial or an audiobook or go and do a reading for Studio 180. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just wish I had half her amount of energy to be able to keep going because after rehearsals, I like can barely get myself to the gym, let alone (laughs) have any brain cells left to do anything Mm -hmm. else artistic. Um, and James McGowan, who works constantly in film and television, is always going out for auditions. So we, we work around all the artist schedules mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. Well, you have to in independent oh, theater, totally. right? Yeah. Um, are you, so talking about all these people, does that like, do, are you intimidated working with these people? Oh, highly, <laughs> highly intimidated. Okay. Um, I mean, Allegra, I still get starstruck by her constantly mm. in rehearsal. Um, we met officially about a year and a half ago, two years ago? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but technically, we met 10 years ago. She doesn't remember. I've told her the story. It's, and I don't expect her to whatsoever. When I was uh, 15 and a couple years after that, I did the Shakespeare School at Stratford. Um, and one of those days we had actors from the company come in to speak with us. And one of the actors was Allegra Fulton Mm -hmm. and she was doing the Odyssey at the time with Peter Hinton. And so we had the the discussion with all the actors. And I remember afterwards we took our break and she was outside just unlocking her bike to get wherever she was going. And there was myself and two other students and she was just chatting about her show and how much she liked her show and how she hoped that we could all come see it. And and I just remember thinking like, how nice is this person? Mm -hmm. This person is so nice and talented. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, you know, 10 years go by and I see her name come up in other plays and all those kind of things. And then I get the opportunity to work with her uh, when Humber River Shakespeare Company was doing their fundraisers, which um, I don't know if you know any uh, about the Humber River Shakespeare bit, Company. Yeah. So they have their fundraiser, which is called Sonnet Show. And what happens is... Different writers are given different writers are given a sonnet, mm-hmm. uh, and they have 14 days because of the 14 lines in the sonnet. They have 14 days to write a 14-minute play about the sonnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was participating as an actor, and Allegra was a director, and I got paired with her, and that's kind of how our little story. When, when you begins. when you tell her 
that story yeah. of like meeting her when you were fifteen. Yeah. Does she, does she remember even doing that? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I told her the story, and and uh, I mean, she was very very uh, mm-hmm. gracious when I told it. Uh, but I don't I don't know exactly if she remembers that day specifically. I think, you know, maybe maybe there's some kind of idea of oh yeah, when I was there, I did that thing with students. She but, probably remembers. She probably did a few of those. Yeah, absolutely. Because <clears throat> yeah. there's different groups that go in, so you know, I completely don't expect her to remember me mm-hmm. specifically from that day. <laughs> like completely a nondescript, fifteen-year-old, yeah. uh, awkward, like Shakespeare camp student kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't like it's totally cool, but yeah. Um, so when you're in, like when you're working with people who are like. Like you met when you were like fifty, and yeah. they were like, ah. "Oh yeah," and you're working with them. How do you keep from freaking out? Well, you know, I am always at all points freaking out on the inside, <laughs> I, like completely. I I will never ever try to like promote that I'm a cool person uh-huh. on the inside whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I really like to do is whenever I come across moments in my life where I get to meet and work with such phenomenal artists who many of whom have been inspirations to me as I've been growing up, mm-hmm. um, particularly if they were at the Stratford festival from about, um, 2007 to 2011 or 12, when I was going there as a Shakespeare school student and in my formative years of theater school and those kind of things. Um, and I have a bit of a, like a, my mind is a steel trap in that, I can sort of see an actor and go, oh, they were in that, that season, and then that, that, the next season, mm-hmm. and that, the next season. As I get older, I have it a little bit less so, but <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. But, uh, um, and so whenever I work with these people, I just try to remember or try to make myself think, like, I wish that I could go back and contact my immediately post-theater school self who was freaking out about what the real world was and where are the jobs going to come mm-hmm. from and where will I be in the next however many years and go, like... You know, you're going to be working with Allegra Fulton when mm. you're 25. You're going to be working with so-and-so at this point. You're doing this at this point. And I just kind of wish that I could go back and tell that person, like, don't freak out because this is what's going to happen. And I try to remind mm. myself, like, in these moments where I'm having similar moments mm. now, like, who knows what will happen when I'm 30, 35, 40. Well, what's kind of interesting about that is, like, if you told young, yeah. fresh out of theater school grace that like it's going to be okay yeah you've worked as hard because freaking Uh, out can be the impetus that like makes you work you know i think maybe and i i do believe that freaking out could be the impetus that makes you work and i um sold myself on that idea for a long time of that if i was unhappy and if i was negative or if i didn't like myself and constantly working to improve then i would get better Mm. but then you're just working from a place of um, you're just working from a place of scarcity mm-hmm. and that doesn't help anybody. Is that something that you struggled with? Like, Oh yeah. And yeah. even now, but now I'm yeah. more aware of it. So was theater something that helped you escape that mm. when you were a kid? Like, did you have, have those sorts of, that sort of, uh, feelings when you were a kid or was that like something that theater school blessed you with? Um, I think that, uh, I won't say that theater is what caused it but I do think that you know there's a lot of insecurity in our industry fair enough uh there's a lot of 
wonderful things in our industry too to make up for that. Uh, so I think that it might be a little bit of a byproduct of that. I mean, certainly I'll say that as a kid, theater helped me through other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an only child with a single parent, mm-hmm. uh, didn't come from a white picket fence fantasy sort of home life. So I just threw myself into it. And mm-hmm. in, in high school, certainly, whatever play that we were working on, the drama department, the kids who were involved, really were a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever we, or whenever I, uh, close a show, I always feel a great morning for the, la- of the lack course. of family, yeah. the loss of family. Um, also, uh, you know, whenever I'm on set, even if I'm only there for a few days, it's amazing how close you can become to people if you're working for three intense days. Oh, absolutely. If absolutely. If you're working right next to somebody for 13, 14 hour days, mm-hmm. even if they're just holding a boom mic, yeah. it's crazy yeah. how how close you can get to someone yeah yeah um where did you grow up montreal montreal i moved to toronto in 2013 i think i was in montreal for a year after i graduated theater school and where did you go to so uh, there's, yeah. i have a bunch of totally. questions that's okay Great. i have a whole lot of questions. I love questions so um you were talking about how you know when you were 15 you were did the whole the Stratford thing, yeah. But before that, yeah. What was it that, that drew you to theater? Was there somebody that took you to theater? Uh, so I can start from several places, but mm-hmm. I'll start at the very beginning. Uh, when I was four, my grandmother had her own preschool. Um, it was a privately owned preschool. She uh, essentially rented a room out of a civic center and held her preschool called Jack and Jill Play School. Um, and one of the the big parts of that preschool were. I guess, putting on little plays. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now that I look back on it, it, it was putting on short performances, but it was all, you know, um, Jack and the Beanstalk, mm-hmm. um, Goldilocks and the Three Little Bears, mm-hmm. of which the two years I was there, I played Goldilocks both <laughs> years. So my first experience of nepotism, uh, <laughs> it was great. Um, my play school crush always played the prince if I was the princess and princess and the pea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so got some special treatment there. I won't deny it, uh, but was really unaware of what theater was. Mm-hmm. But that's where that seed was planted. And then, in t- when I was ten, um, there were some you know difficulties going on in my life. Um, so theater became kind of a, a positive thing to do on a Saturday afternoon. Sure. I worked with a children's theater called Pegasus Performing Arts for a number of years and went to high school and was involved in every play I could mm-hmm. be a part of there and then went to theater school. Uh, before that, went to the Stratford Shakespeare School, which I really feel shaped me as an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really attribute it to, to um, really being the greatest influence on me. Um, in all that time and all of that sort of pre-actor stage. And I uh, went to theater school and now I'm here and the rest is history. At what point did you decide that this was this was your life's work? Uh, in Stratford, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, so I went at 15, and before that I was really interested and curious about, about acting and about mm-hmm. making it as a profession. And uh, I really liked Meryl Streep. Uh, where I was introduced to her work was when she played Aunt Josephine in a series of unfortunate events, okay. which, you know, is not her Sophie's Choice role, but it no, was, but was still a huge fan of those of books. Course. And then saw, like, oh, who is this? And then, like the big nerd I am, did all the research I could find on her at the time. And I would, I would look at Meryl Streep, and I would watch films like American Pie. And I would say, like, well, you know, I know that 
these actors in American Pie, and they have their, they completely have their their values and and whatnot. Uh, but I was like, I don't really, I don't really see myself in films like this. And I know that one actor out of a trillion can have a career that mimics Meryl Streep's. And when I would watch the Oscars, I wouldn't see myself on the red carpet. And so I kind of felt like, well, I want to act, but I don't see where I fit in. Right. And I liked theater, and I was as I said, very, uh, very active in theater. But for some reason in my brain when I was younger, particularly like around 10, 11, I thought that theater was what you did to train before you were good enough to go into film. Oh, okay. Which okay, is okay. like, I am almost embarrassed to admit that now. But mm. I mean, being a, a young kid, I guess, you know, you don't, you're not really exposed to. How could you know any better? Theater as yeah. a profession. And then when I was 15, I went to the Stratford Shakespeare School. Uh, the very first show I saw there was... Philip Aiken's Othello. Um, and I remember just being floored. Mm. Floored. I had seen a few Shakespeare productions before that, but mostly student productions, McGill University, that sort of thing. And this was the first time I had seen it professionally done. Uh, first time I had ever been exper- uh, ever been exposed to Othello. This is just the story of Othello, mm. which was a complete another, another level of being floored. Um, and I just kind of had a clicking moment where... I sort of thought this is it, and mm. oh, this is you can you can make money out of this, and you can make a career out of this. Yeah. And the day before that show, uh, it was a Monday, so the theater was dark, and we were after our classes that day. We were on a tour of the festival theater, and the tour ends in the actual theater, mm-hmm. and so we were all filing out to get to wherever we needed to be for dinner before going back to our dorms. And I remember looking back at that theater, and or at the stage, rather, and sort of seeing the stage expand and being so overcome with emotion that my 15-year-old self couldn't understand and me immediately thinking that that was some sort of secret connection that I had mm. at that moment. And then later, I read a book called Stratford Gold, and Martha Henry gives an interview about how the stage would breathe mm. and expand, and I wonder if that's what I experienced that maybe, day. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So. <clears throat> what what? What theater school did you go to? Dawson College in Montreal, okay. also known as The Dome. The Dome. Yes. Um, was there something that drew you to that particular school? Did you audition for other schools? I or? did. Um, so Montreal, I don't know if you know, but their education, Quebec's education system is a little bit different than the rest of the countries. We only go up to grade 11 there. Mm-hmm. So there's no 12, 13. So you graduate high school at 17 usually. Um, and then... Usually you go into something really quirky and weird called Sejap. Okay. Which most people go to Sejap for two years. So as if it were a grade 12, 13, um, a pre-university course, and Mm -hmm. then they can go to whatever university after that. Um, But Sejap also has programs that are three years, which are career programs and made uh, made Mm. to just streamline you into uh, the industry that you're working in, which theater was. So in Montreal, there's two Sejaps. There's John Abbott and Dawson. Um, I, at the time, really wanted to go to John Abbott, uh, but ended up at Dawson. I got into both, but ended up at Dawson. And, you know, I'm a big believer that the universe takes care of you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm super, super grateful that that's where I went. Mm. Um, Just even to be exposed to downtown, because I grew up in a suburb of Montreal, where John Abbott was deep in the suburbs and... Dawson was in the heart of downtown. Right. Um, so I did audition for other theater schools, but I couldn't in that year because I didn't have a grade 12 equivalency. Right. And even after your first year of theater, as hard as I tried to push past uh, like the academic roles that you need to get into universities, after the first year, you don't have enough credits to 
to be considered to have a grade 12 equivalency. Hmm. Like I auditioned for York and for Windsor and for Ryerson and I, all the acting teachers approved me, but the schools didn't approve me because I didn't have what somebody coming out of grade 12 would have in their eyes. That's, that's gotta be really frustrating. Oh, it was so frustrating. Completely, completely. And it's not that I thought Dawson was bad, but it's Mm. just that I kind of knew that I wanted to be in Ontario at some point. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to start making connections with people who were going to Ontario theater schools. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you're in second year in Sejap in theater, you do have enough credits. I re-auditioned for some of the schools. I got in, and then at the last second, I ultimately decided to stay at Dawson because some of my teachers, who were great mentors to me, said, "You might as well just stay out the year. You're going to get, you're most likely going to get an agent at the end of the year, and then start auditioning." And lo mm. and behold, that's what did happen. So, wow. yeah, I'm glad. And I, I think to myself, I've, I've been to the past couple Theater Ontario showcases. And I've kind of been tracking, like, okay, had I have gone to Windsor when I got in, I would have been 23 when I graduated. What have I done in my career and in my life from 19 to 23 that I wouldn't have achieved had mm-hmm. I gone to, yeah. to university? Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm just I'm just grateful that things worked the, the way that they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what brought you to Ontario? Um, many things. I mean, mm. mostly... There's more work here than there is in Montreal, as mm. much as I adore Montreal, and I love Montreal. Are you bilingual? Un uh, peu. Yeah, okay. But I'm very were you, uh, enough to Were you bilingual enough to do French theater, or was oh, it... Oh, gosh, no. no? Okay. I know people whose first language who is French, and they are not considered French enough to do French theater okay. in Quebec. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, really, if you haven't gone to either the French section of the National Theater School or the Conservatoire, mm. like you, you really aren't working okay. on the French side. So, like you, there's there was very little option for oh, you. Oh, like I would only ever work mm. a UDA project if I was mm. the anglophone butt of the joke. Right, 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 right. Like right. with my accent, nobody, nobody is fooled that I am. Okay, I'm not from Beaconsfield. Right, right, right. Yeah. So. You would have been like at some of the smaller theaters, the smaller English theaters, yeah. Centaur, but that not a whole lot of options. Well, there's Centaur and there's Seagull, and then there's Mainline, which mm-hmm. is sort of like what Storefront was when they had a physical mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. And then other than that, you know, the Fringe is great. It's mm-hmm. the best party. Yeah. A best Fringe party, I think. But other than that, there isn't a lot. Yeah. And I got to a place where I would go to a Centaur opening, and then I would go to the Seagull Center opening either the next night or the week after and I'd see the same people yeah and and I adore everyone in Montreal and I I miss them so much and I can't wait until and I do go back and work quite a bit mostly in film and television in Montreal mm-hmm. but you know when that theater project comes where I can be in Montreal for two three months yeah. like I'm ready for it yeah yeah um so you you came to Ontario yes. and you've, you've been working here. Mm-hmm. At what point did self producing become a thing? Uh, so um, my relationship to self producing has been quite harried. I have tried to produce several different projects, mostly in Montreal or when I first first got to Toronto, and had them all fall flat. Mm. And so I got to a place where I was like, well, I'm just not going to do it. It really takes people who are as 110% motivated as you are to get a Mm -hmm. show off the ground. And it's really hard to do it Mm -hmm. alone, and it really sucks. 
Um, and then I was in an acting class in the winter, spring, um, and I was assigned a scene from a play called Toyer, and I completely fell in love with my scene partner, and we were excited about the play, and so we, we were both busy at the time with other auditions, so we really only got half the time in class to work on it as, as we could have, mm-hmm. and so finally we just said, like, why don't we just do it? Why don't we just do it? Um, and I sort of brought myself out of producing retirement, and we had been working on that for um, a couple months. And then, in the middle of the summer, he decided to bow out to focus on his YouTube career. Which mm-hmm. more power to him. He's fabulous and is traveling mm-hmm. across the world to promote his channel. So absolutely no hard done. And then I was left with this decision about what do I do? Yeah. What do I? And do? so you decided on Oleana. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So let's talk about let's talk about like why you chose to do Oleana before we get into any of the politics. Okay. Around it. <laughs> um, well, like most of my decisions, it's made very impulsively. Um, so yeah, um, it's like I wish I had a more eloquent, politically driven reason behind it. Um, but mostly um, between Toyer ending and Oleana, I thought about doing another play for about a, about a week, and then I decided that that play had too many characters involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I kind of just thought like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Do I just let whatever deposit I've already put down go? Um, do I try to find something else? And then I kind of asked myself like, what else is there that I could do? And just sort of like a flash in my head, I was like, well. You know, Oleana is one of those plays where I've been doing a monologue from it for a number of years, basically since theater school, where I was first introduced to the play. Um, and I, I felt myself sort of aging out of the role. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like really three years older than what the character mm-hmm. should be. So I'm being a bit dramatic when I say that, but I kind of felt that that clock was ticking. Sure. I felt the clock ticking. And so I was like, okay, well... I'm going to see if the rights are available, and we'll take it from there. And I found out almost instantly about mm-hmm. about being granted the rights. So I thought, okay, cool. Um, okay, and uh, I don't know who else could play the part, and I don't have a director yet, and I don't have anything else. Uh, so uh, what? And then I remembered, um, you know, I had run into Allegra uh, a couple months prior. I had been meaning to send her a message anyways. I was like, what if... I'm just gonna, it's just gonna be an excuse to write to her. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna be an excuse to write to an Allegra, and maybe, you know, best case scenario, she can't do it, but we'll go out for coffee. Sure. Great, great. And she said yes. Mm. And she said yes. Um, and it, it kind of got rolling from there. So once she said yes. Yeah. Um, what, did you freak out at that point oh, or did you freak I'm freaking you out at all out? Yeah, yeah, Okay, okay. And like all the forms, all the definitions of freaked out, you can imagine mm-hmm. I am all of those definitions at all times in this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and how did you find your, 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 your co-actor? Uh, well, we auditioned, we, uh, put our dream list together, um, mm-hmm. of actors that I knew and actors that she knew. And we put a call out through eDrive just to see if there were any any other actors that we weren't thinking about mm-hmm. and uh we had eight or nine very phenomenal actors come in each very different um each com- could have completely been uh, a great choice mm-hmm. um and that whole process opened my eye I, it wasn't the first time i was behind an audition table but that process particularly it's like well this actor is phenomenal but maybe they 
don't make me seem as young as I should be. Or, yeah. like, maybe we seem too similar in age. Don't you think that, that like, every actor should have some time on the other side Oh, completely. Of the table? Completely. You learn so much about the audition process mm-hmm. that you never knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, really, really, it's not trite when people say that you can bomb your audition from the first footstep you Absolutely. take into the room. And that's one thing that you don't understand. Oh, people don't, you don't understand it yeah. until you're on that side of the table oh, no. and you see somebody do it. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I think when I was first auditioning, I'd walk in with this nervous energy of, oh, like I'm not, I'm not very good and I'm, I'm nervous and, mm. and like asking, almost like asking like, I want this part so that I can feel good about myself mm. for that kind of thing. And it wasn't until I turned the tables on that or was aware that that's coming from a place of scarcity rather than abundance. Yeah. That things really started to shift in my career. It's interesting to, to, to realize like how easy it is to do that. Because, you know, everybody's nervous going oh, yeah. in. Yeah. But it's almost like you have to like walk into the room with energy, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And to let, to, you, you need to exude mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you're in good hands with me. Oh, completely. Good people behind that table. Oh, completely. And if you don't do that... Yeah. They're like, oh, totally, oh, totally. But even that being said, like you can have too much confidence, and I've seen that shoot actors in the foot as well. Yeah. So it's riding that fine line of being self-assured but not cocky, Mm -hmm. but also then just having the the affirmal it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The yes, you have to have the it because actors can come into a room and they can be amazing, but not. What you need. Just don't have that, you know, that attraction, that yeah. chemistry, that yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like dating almost. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So much in this industry is like dating. Sometimes dangerously oh, so. Oh, something dangerously Sometimes so. dangerously yeah. so. Um, and that's something that we can discuss as Comes we get a little further in, into yeah. I mean, it's very much a part of this play, but yeah. who did you eventually find and, and how did you find them? Uh, so James McGowan um, is a friend of Allegra's. Um, he is predominantly a film and television actor, uh, has done theater, and I did this play in Montreal. He's also from Montreal, which okay. was a happy little <laughs> accident. Um he did this play at the Monument National, I think, like, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. And I'm nervous to do any research about that production, just because I don't want to start comparing myself to whoever played Carol in of that course, production. Of course, of course. Um, which I'm a big comparer, so that's that's one of my <laughs> one of my things that I'm trying to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so was a friend of Allegra's, was the only actor out of the eight or nine that was completely unknown to me. Mm. Which... Like some of the actors I didn't know personally, but had seen them in shows or sure. had seen them around, or some yeah. of them were people that I was quite quite close with. Hmm. James was the only actor who came in who was completely unknown to me. Okay. Yeah. So it was. That's got a certain amount of excitement. Oh, because totally. Because when you know somebody. Oh, yeah. Especially if you know them well. Oh, yeah. You kind of know what they're going to give you. Oh, yeah. And then to have somebody you don't know come in, that's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how to describe James other than very intense. Mm-hmm. And that isn't to say that he's super serious because he'll crack a joke faster than you can. Right, right, right. Than you can even wonder how he came up with that punchline. Sure. Um, but just the way he looks at you is just very, like, mm. with you, like he's looking into you. Right, right, right. Uh, which is definitely a little intimidating at first, yeah. especially when we're going into a play where we both have to be so naked with each other. Yeah. Uh, not literally. No, but, um, yeah. And especially having having no prior interactions with each other. From a certain point of view, though, yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, totally. Because you don't have any past history at all. Completely. There's no expectation of, of anything. There's yeah. no, 
you you know that you're there to work. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's no misunderstanding anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, Oleana, mm-hmm. as a play, mm-hmm. at this time, oh. given um, uh, hashtag Me Too and all oh, the discussions me. that are happening now <sighs> is particularly topical. Yes. And... Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So, and I imagine when you started talking about doing it, it was not, it was not that topical. Like, it was topical. Yeah. But not quite where it is now. Oh, no. When I, I mean, I was talking about this in rehearsal on Monday, I think it was, or maybe like the week before. Um, I, when I wrote to Allegra, and this was end of July. Mm Mm-hmm end of July, uh, I remember writing and saying like, Hey, like I have the rights to this play. It's a play that I've wanted to do for a long time that I'm very curious to do. And I also think that, you know, it speaks to what's going on in the world today. Mm. And that was the end of July. Yes. And now (sighs) there's, it's, it's where, how relevant this play was in the (laughs) summer is miles away from where we are today. It's it's so because I mean the conversation around the Me Too hashtag started with the Harvey Weinstein thing, yeah. And yet, there are conversations separate from Hollywood that, mm-hmm. that sort of need to happen around theater, mm-hmm. which is sort of like you know that as we were saying how you know uh, uh, auditions can be kind of like speed dating oh, but yeah. dangerously close mm-hmm. because you need chemistry but an understanding and yeah. things like that, mm-hmm. um, combined with the fact that there's a rise in the need for intimacy. Uh, uh, intimacy uh, uh, coordinators, uh, uh, choreographers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is a relatively new thing. Oh, which totally. One actually, once you start to understand it, you're like, of course you should have. Yeah, this. yeah. Um, but there's the resistance to that in oh. the industry. Oh, yeah. Um, how, like, now that it's as relevant as it is, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this play? Huh. I mean, there are a thousand different things I could say about it in regards to that. Um, I mean, with the Me Too, it really caused me a lot of self-reflection, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in regards to this play. Um, and I'm, I'm really cognizant of not giving away too many spoilers about what happens in the show, just because today I was even speaking with somebody who didn't who didn't know it, and who mm. is somebody who is, um, you know, the play is 25 years old. It's the 25th anniversary. And so mm-hmm. someone who is a little bit of the time when it was written and is somebody who might not be directly related in our industry but is uh, very culturally inclined mm-hmm. and and didn't know about the play, which I almost don't want to rob someone the chance to experience it for the very first time. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to be very, very careful, um, just very careful in general, uh, just because... You would be in such a sticky situation talking about this play and talking about all these issues, which I think is what's so exciting. Hmm. It terrifies me. But I yeah. also think that because it terrifies me that these conversations are what need to happen. Mm-hmm. And and people uh, need to be wrong before they're right, I guess, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, so with in regards to that, um, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of the criticism that Carol's gotten as a character mm-hmm. in terms of uh, her actions and whether or not they're justified. And, mm. um, and I think that really comes down to the individual productions, mm-hmm. the choices the actors have made, and the particular staging of the event in question that happens in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got really stuck in the mud for a long time, uh, end of September, beginning of October, just feeling like, oh my gosh, like... 
I just wanted to do a play that I thought was maybe a little relevant. Now it's a whole different issue because we have to handle so many different things. Yeah. Um, and and I don't want to I don't want to present a play where where the woman can come across looking like such a monster or mm. a whistleblower or someone who cries wolf, yeah. especially yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. In, mm-hmm. in right now yes. where I feel like that's detrimental to the momentum that's happening in mm-hmm. the Me Too movement and everything else. And then Me Too happened um, and I was on my phone and I saw one or two friends post about Me Too and immediately I went, well, I'm going to post it if for nothing else in solidarity mm-hmm. because I'm lucky enough to have never experienced um, a rape in the strictest sense um, and I've never gone to a hotel room where somebody's answered the door without mm-hmm. pants on. But it made me really question what is the actual definition of sexual harassment mm-hmm. and start to reflect in moments of my life where maybe somebody in power put their hand on my hand in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And this person, while I, I wouldn't call this person a monster whatsoever, and at the time I would consider this person a, a father figure and a mentor, but, you know, in the context that it was done, yeah. it was... You know, not a great situation. Mm-hmm. And then you enter into the whole, well, if I if I don't reciprocate, what happens? Yeah. If this person helped me find my first agent and is also represented at this agency, mm-hmm. what happens there? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's made me stop minimizing my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's helped me as an actor to not get into the mud of minimizing carol's experience Mm -hmm. in this play either Mm. um because as somebody who's speaking to you now in an interview situation i need to be objective to talk about the play but as an actor i absolutely cannot be no of course and i don't even need you to be objective. no no totally because i mean the thing is that i i I always feel like oleana is a play that's written by a man and is often presented Mm. with the male perspective yep um in which case i think a lot of times the carol character can be seen as mm-hmm. a manipulator mm-hmm. or a monster, mm-hmm. whatever it is that, that she can be seen as. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the hands of a woman actor, yes. or sorry, a woman director. Yes, she's also and, an actress. Yes, yeah. but you know, the director giving their focus mm-hmm. uh, to the play. Yeah. And you know, now it's a play written by a man, directed by a woman. Yes. Which I think might give it a different yeah. take. Yeah. Um, do you do you find that? Because I mean, obviously, yeah. every time we often when we see it before, it's like from the teacher's perspective oh, totally. with a male director, mm. and it's true. I don't know if I've ever I've done a lot of research on past productions, mostly because it's something that I like to do as an actor while I'm in the preparatory stages. Mm. Um, but also, I've never actually seen this play done or on mm. its feet or seen the film. My only experience has been reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things I like to do is, is read past reviews of different productions to see if I can mine any information out of them. Mm. Um, and that was a positive and negative experience. We can talk about that after if you want. Um, but it's true. I don't think I've seen a woman's name on any of those reviews mm. in the director position. But that being said, um, from day one, Allegra's really approached this play from a point of view um, where they are both wrong and they're both right. Mm. And I think, I think, you know, I think it's safe to say that Allegra is a feminist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't had that conversation, but having had multiple conversations with other things with her, it's, I think it's safe to say. Um, 
But I think at its core, really, it's it's not a feminist story. It's a human story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a story about how two people who can have a fleeting connection mm-hmm. can find themselves in such an awful position because somebody phrased something slightly the wrong way. Yeah. Or somebody didn't leave the room when they maybe should have left. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's not to point fingers at anyone. It's just, there's, there's a beautiful line in the play, which is we, we can only interpret the behaviors of others. through The screen we create, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, which I think really puts the spotlight on the audience to see how they, they Mm -hmm. interpret things. Um, Yeah. So, we can only we can only really try to do our best with with yeah. the material that's presented with us. And yeah. while I can, I can sort of recognize why some people might say the things that they do about Carol. As an actor, I can only be true to however I mm-hmm. can justify them within myself yeah. and and come to terms with that. I actually look forward to conversations mm. after the play. Mm-hmm. Like, Which, just to, to say, Mammoth Estate people, we will not be doing an official no, capacity mean, where we mean, sell tickets. Yeah. I mean, like, people who are, like, when people leave the theater, not a talk back, but yeah. when people leave the theater and yeah. they're having conversations oh, with yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's nothing like people interpreting the play that they've just seen. Yeah. Especially when a play is gracious enough to leave that up to them. Mm-hmm. And to have them have those conversations as oh, they yeah. interpret it, which is a, a great gift to give them. And the play is shrouded in ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And in terms of more information for the actors or even just to set up more um, consequences or make it more complex and more detailed, the way that Mamet's written it is he just drops a little something in mm. and then it never comes up again. Huh. So it's a clue or a hint into what happens in between the three encounters that the play is told in mm. that gives you more information. It can also be a red herring. Right. Um, but certainly I think, you know, it's 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 really up to the staging of it. And yeah. to to have the privilege and uh to have the privilege of being able to stage it and in what's going on in the world today Mm -hmm. i you know we're early on in rehearsals but i'm i'm really excited to see what happens at the end well i don't think it's interesting because the conversation around me too and everything else this is not something that seems to be going away Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a lot of times you know we see these things that come up and we talk about them and then we never address them again oh completely but we're seeing more and more more of it more and more of it and I think because of that flirtation in the in the in the audition room, mm-hmm. how that can be like speed dating, mm-hmm. and how sometimes because a lot of times we just let actors work out the physicality of the of the their attraction oh, yeah. on stage mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. without an intimacy director, um, there can be crossed signals and misunderstandings and things like that that lead to an increased need Mm -hmm. to have the continued conversation around me too oh completely um uh and that's uh it's a good thing and it's an important thing we've avoided having it for a very long time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so hopefully this play continues to, to to help feed that absolutely yep uh, you did mention um, uh, how looking at reviews yeah. 
of past shows <sighs> was a, a certain thing. Can you talk about, talk yeah. about that? Um, so from the positive perspective, um, you know, I just like hearing things like, you know, if the review reviewer talks about a certain choice that the, dir- the director or the actors made. Now, again, taking everything with a grain of salt mm-hmm. because of, you know, having been a part of shows or seen shows where I didn't necessarily agree with what the reviewer had mm-hmm. said. Like, anyways, it's it's just more information to put in the pot. Uh, but then I started reading the comments, which I don't oh, sake, I don't realize it, why I didn't know beforehand oh not to read the comments. Oh, never read the comments. No, oh. especially for this. And I was reading the original New York Times review for the original production, and uh, I was like, "Well, the New York Times people must be educated and on the know. Oh like, I can't wait for more information to hear what people think." Um, a couple comments in, um, there was a comment that that essentially said that. Oleana was their litmus test for whether or not someone was a sociopath if they had sided with the character of Carol or not. Jesus. Oh, I know. Jesus. Right? Uh, and they mm. thought that how could anybody be behind this 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 monster of a person and how could this girl do this and da 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 and I just it's just I had to put the computer away completely yeah. because it doesn't serve me and it gets me into a funk. Uh, and <sighs> It's it's not a play about one person. It's a play about two people and yeah. about the complexity that's involved in an altercation mm-hmm. um, that spans over three interactions. Uh, and I don't know. I had to I had to put it away, and that was that. Did you did you stop reading comments after that entirely? Yes. And wise, it, it also makes me want to go. I want to find these people and sit them down and say no. But then there's this moment where this happens in the text, or I just want to defend it all to everyone at all points <laughs> and be like, well, maybe it wasn't staged like this, and it could be like this. So she's she's not anyways. So it's interesting how you know commenters i love when if a, there's a commenter who's like willing to comment on theater yeah fuck thank you but yeah you you do hope that they're more uh uh that you get intelligent yeah. uh uh discourse and there. you know that's not to discredit them whoever mm-hmm. whoever they are you know it it's not to say that his, his comment wasn't intelligent i mean also to to refer to the me too movement some of the comments i was seeing on facebook were pretty atrocious i had a couple male friends who wrote posts about you know if i've ever done or said anything mm, wrong yeah, yeah. you know i am sorry and and they were commenters about well what about what about all the men that have been harassed why is it only women yeah why no, is it only women like, why is it only and you know i can say that they that those are awful comments but again we can only interpret the behaviors of the screen we create and that is that person's point of view because of their reasons and but this is i mean this is the kind of response yeah. that comes almost always from white men sure. in a position of in a position of power yep. that that is the response to uh it's like uh it's the same thing that happens with the black black lives matter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, movement Completely. and and instead of like addressing the issue mm-hmm. deflecting it into something that is about them yeah. or uh, uh prove to me that this is a thing i've seen that too yeah i also saw the uh, some people saying, "Oh, this is a this is a conspiracy because um, uh, this is the the feminist conspiracy because uh, white men mm. are the most uh, 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 disadvantaged people." Mm-hmm. And I I was like, "This is something that people actually believe yeah. that that white men are experiencing yeah. uh, uh, some form of discrimination that's unprecedented mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in the world mm-hmm. and." 
it's the kind of thing that, that, that is like you just really want to shake people and go. Wake up. Wake up. Yeah. Wake up. Wake up. Equality. Yes. Does not mean. No. Disadvantage to another person. Yeah. Which is unfortunately how we see it. Yes. Um, Completely. So, you, like, you, you've got some intermittent rehearsals for yes. the show. Yes, yes. And you're, um, in November, once yeah. you really start delving into it. Yeah. And, I mean, you open November 22nd. Second. Yes. And so, you're, like, once November hits, yes. it's like a steamroller. It's a steam train heading straight towards opening night. Well, and the play is such a steam train mm-hmm. in and of itself. It's 70 minutes, no intermission, straight through. Um, of just text that just cascades. Mm. Um, the first act is just riddled with so many mammonisms of right. half lines and shared lines and going yeah. back to secondary thoughts when you mm-hmm. start to speak. And it's awful to learn. And we're having a great time doing it. Uh, but... Yeah, it just goes straight through. How do you learn text like that? Mm, well, um, I can't. I can't speak for James, even though I've been roping him into some of my some of my tips and tricks, um, or more tricks, I should say. For me, it's just it's a lot of um, private study. Mm-hmm. Um, you with text like that, when your line is, I don't, I why, I don't what. Um, you need to know what you're saying, why you're saying it, and who you're saying it to. Mm. And it can't be a process of, <clears throat> excuse me, it can't just be a process of learning the lines and then in rehearsal, what do they mean and finding out all those sort of things and learning them by rote and all of that. Um, you have to know exactly what you're doing at all times and at least make a choice so that you can that you can ingest those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. For something like that, you really, like, you have, like, the only way to know it is would be to know like all of those little things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about who, what, and why are you talking like that, and oh, what's oh completely, yeah, completely, mm. and uh, it it's it's almost a gift because then when you're in your rehearsal and you're you're consistently missing the same line over and over again, and if you miss one I I or anything like that. The whole train goes off the of tracks. Of course it does, yeah. The whole train goes off the tracks because then you mess up the other actor too because you need to be right on top of each other. Yeah. And listening for your cue and listening so inherently to to, to what the other person is saying that you need to be right on top of it and you cannot miss it. Uh, if James has a line that it's just well, period. Mm-hmm. Or if you even miss a mammoth pause, the musicality goes right out the window. Right. Yeah. So if there's a line that you're missing consistently, mm-hmm. is that because... Usually it means that you... It's an indicator that you aren't 100% sure why you're saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's a case for having to know. Like, you know, sometimes as actors, we can... We can futz, we can wing fake it, we can sort go of wing it. I don't have to oh, know exactly completely. why I'm saying it as long as I'm saying it. As long as it looks like I know. Oh, yeah. But you can't fake oh, it. Oh, no. Here. And I'm an actor who... I think that I work off um, instinct a lot. And in terms of, like, let's just learn the lines and play and yeah. get these books out of our hand. But you, you need to know first before going in, or at least, you know, um, Allegra talks about throwing everything at the wall, mm-hmm. throwing 200 things at the wall and seeing whatever stays there at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. So are you on the social medias? I am on the social medias. You got the Twitters? I got the Twitters. Um, so Theater Penumbra, the, the company that's producing this play, is on the Twitter. It's on the Facebook. Um, so take a look for those and like and follow those pages. I have a personal Instagram. It's Grace Gordon one 
Uh, so follow those. So you do you do the you do the grams, not the twits. Uh, I'm. It switches. It switches. Uh, I like the grams. I'm mm-hmm. also on the twits, but um, I deleted it from my phone to make room for whatever because my <laughs> phone is constantly running out of uh-huh. room. Um, and I didn't miss it for a long time, and I'm back now, and I like it. But I just it's just so time consuming checking all of them. Oh my god, you you almost can't. And like you've got to you've got to like figure like at what point in the day do you check? Oh yeah. You can't do it all. Oh yeah, and and one of the things that I liked about Twitter is I'd see an article and I'd be like, "Oh, I want to I want to remember that so I'd like it or mm-hmm. um like just to read it later." And then I would like stockpile these 50 articles and mm-hmm. by the time I got around to read them, they were all obsolete or stories uh, changed yeah. or whatever yeah. and I just wouldn't have time to get through them all. Yeah, I always found that like just like looking through Twitter would be like, yeah. "Oh, I need to I want to check back on that." And then You'd like lose it yeah. in the stream of everything. Oh yeah, and be like, okay, I'm gonna follow this hashtag, but everything is all over the place. How do I follow it? So yeah. it can be a little overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the, you're you're really uh, more on the on the Instagram than the Twitter right now. Uh, personally, I yeah. am, uh, but Theater Penumbra is more on Facebook and the Twitter. How do you? I mean, are you managing those? I am. Yeah. yeah? How how do you find the the process of like managing? Basically, two personas: oh, the yeah. theater company and yourself. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's it's making sure that the voices are a little bit different. Um, I mean, I'm sure that m- the majority of our followers on Theater Penumbra are friends of mine, so I, I don't think that veneer needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but managing managing something social media, especially when you're promoting something, is a full time job mm-hmm. on top of everything yeah. else. And thank God for scheduled posts, mm-hmm. so oh I can God. do yeah. whatever I need to do at five in the morning before mm-hmm. I go to the gym, before I go to rehearsals, before I then have to go to my Joe job or yeah. whatever. So that it can come out at noon when the interwebs tell me that more people yeah. look at their Facebook at that time. Is that – do you hootsuite for that? Or do you- hootsuite. No, you can uh, – there's a little thing on Facebook pages where uh, before you post it, you can click something and say scheduled post. Oh, the annoying thing is, is you have to do it within that day. Like, So oh, I do a lot of stuff, okay. you know at artist hours, so mm-hmm. 12 a.m., 1 a.m., yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but if you're doing it at – like eleven thirty or twelve, like I guess mm-hmm. eleven thirty. You you can only do it before it hits midnight. Mm-hmm. So it's change that Facebook. That's a little this bit. is mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, that's mine. That's why I use I use Hootsuite, which allows me to schedule a whole bunch of things in advance. Okay, that's a whole uh, other thing I have to buffer learn. Buffer is also. I'm a, not a good at learning thing. things. Uh, Tried Snapchat. Yeah. It wasn't for me. Oh my god, Snapchat! Is like, I feel it's like, like such I, a... I, I'm only on it because like the kids at work are on it. Okay. So I feel like it's a thing I got to be on. Yeah. And I mostly don't. I don't snap. Yeah. I don't chat. Yeah. I just let them do that. Okay. So I think we can do without it. Well, Instagram has kind of killed Snapchat, hasn't Instagram it? Instagram has, in a, in a lot of ways, killed Snapchat. But yeah. that was because a lot of the things that people were using Snapchat for, mm-hmm. Instagram started doing. Like, Instagram stories became, mm-hmm. like, that's what Snapchat is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so Snapchat, I think, is probably dying a slow death. Yeah. Um, it's going to go eventually because... Instagram's owned by Facebook, and you yeah. can't stop. You can't stop the Facebook juggernaut. <sighs> so sad. I don't want people to lose jobs. I don't I, want. I'm sure that they're going, they're going to find jobs somewhere okay, else. Okay, I hope Somebody's so. Somebody's going to come along and take care. All of right, them. I'm glad. I'm sure okay, I'm good. Good, good. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much, Grace. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.